Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, please. Again, welcome, glad that you're here. Just for fun, moms, I put together a list of sayings about mothers. Uh, I, I stole most of them, but I, I put them together from various sources that I thought I would share for you today some uh, wisdom over the ages about uh, being a mother. Uh, it is never easy being a mother. If it were easy, fathers would do it. <laughs> I, I can attest to that at my house. Here's another one. When I was a boy, my mother wore a mood ring. Some of you probably don't even know what mood rings are, but uh, it's an old thing. Uh, when she was in a good mood, it turned blue. In a bad mood, it left a big red mark on my forehead. <laughs> yeah. Mama does everything for the baby who responds by saying, Dada first. Yeah, I, you'll get that letter. Children are a great comfort in your old age, and they help you reach it faster, too. <laughs> I don't even know who Lionel is, but I like it. Um, mothers of teenagers know why animals eat their young. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the most remarkable thing about my mother is that for 30 years she served the family nothing but leftovers. The original meal has never been found. <laughs> that true is. Where is the first one? I want my children to have all the things I couldn't afford, then I want to move in with them. <laughs> yeah. A couple more. Uh, a mother is a person who's seeing there are only four pieces of pie for five people promptly announces she never did care for pie. That is true. And there is only one pretty child in the world, and every mother has it. Moms, we're so grateful for you this morning, and we love you and pray God's richest blessings on you and pray just everything. I, listen, I, I am firmly convinced, um, ha having seen a mother of five children raise five children, that there is no tougher task in the world. Uh, my wife still... Um, is constantly praying, constantly thinking about our children and what God has for them. And, and somehow, in my deception, I thought uh, after my kids got to be more adult-like, I'm not going to say they're all adults, but more adult-like, that it would take less. But it seems for moms to take to never end. Being a mom is a, is a job that will last the rest of your life, and thank you for godly mothers who have the intent of raising children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We are so grateful for you, and, and pray God's blessings on you. Uh, I was tempted to preach a Mother's Day sermon today, and I, I'm actually not. Um, I, I really want to proceed on with um, the vision of our church, but I do want to let the moms know how grateful we are for you and who you are and what you model for our children. We're in a series that is called E3. Uh, E3 in our church stands for three E's that kind of speak of the vision of who we are. We want people at, who come to fullness to encounter God and his people. We want 
to be a church where you experience the Holy Spirit and discover your purpose. And we want to expand our influence by making a difference in the world. We, we're just coming out of a celebration of our 25th anniversary. And really what I'm trying to do this month is to remind us of who we are. To remind fullness. God has planted us here. He has a plan and a purpose for us here. And so I want to speak on these three E's, as it were, over the next couple of weeks. Last week I came kind of a foundation of Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. And today I want to tackle this first one of what does it mean to encounter God and his people? What does it mean to encounter God and his people? And there are two key passages for us as a church about this topic of worship and encountering God and his people. The first is found when Jesus confronts or is confronted by, speaks with the woman at the well. If you remember the story without getting into it much, uh, Jesus meets the woman at the well. He starts to speak to her. Uh, they start to have this dialogue. He starts to get really uh, prophetically personal in her life by speaking truth that no one else could know except her. And she does what many people do when, when things get a little hot, when they start to feel God kind of move in on them. They divert by asking a question that can't be answered. You know, like you start to talk to someone and they say, hey, how, how, can, can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? You know, these questions that are unanswerable. Or, 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 or what about the guy over in uh, some island off uh, in Asia who's never heard the gospel? Is he going to be able to go to heaven or not? Really, the question is the theological premise where they're just saying, boy, this is getting really hot. And, and rather than taking God personal, they, they really ask questions about some guy in Asia or Africa or somewhere they don't really care about really all that much. They're just trying to divert it. That's what she does. She asked Jesus a question saying, hey, you Jews worship in Jerusalem. We worship on this mountain because she was a Samaritan. And she's saying, where is true worship supposed to occur? It's kind of one of those kind of questions. And Jesus, I'm really glad she did because Jesus answers her by saying, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father how? Spirit and in truth. For these are the kind of worshipers, worshipers the Father seeks. The, um, the idea of worshiping in spirit and in truth is foundational, we believe, to the Bible and to us at, at, here at Fullness. And we want to be a place that fully embraces the person and work of the Holy Spirit, what he's doing, because apart from the Spirit of God, worship is merely a human endeavor. Hello? You know, worship, without the Spirit of God, worship is not really worship. Worship has to be empowered by the person and work of the Holy Spirit to be worship. Otherwise, it's just a religious activity. And it also has to be founded upon truth, the truth of God's Word. We want to be a place that fully embraces 100% of the Spirit of God and 100% of the truth of God. And... Another key passage for us is found in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, it, it, Paul is addressing, and I'm going to clarify this passage or expand on it just a little bit in a moment, but he says, but when some unbelievers or ordinary people come in, they will be convinced of their sin by what they hear. They will be judged by all they hear. 
their secret thoughts will be brought into the open, and they will bow down and worship God, confessing, truly God is here among you. The, the truth that, that when the body of Christ gathers and God is moving in spirit and in truth, that people, when they come into that corporate gathering, they are confronted with the people of God worshiping a true God, and their eyes are pointed toward God. They, they, this is foundational to us at Fullness. We, we believe in small group or in youth group or in children's church or in corporate worship. When people gather together, what we want them to see, that we want them to encounter God. You know, worship is not about a style of music. Worship's not about a, a, a proclamation by a guy who stands up. It's not about a style. It's not about a the way music is done. It's not about a color of a chair. It's not about a shape of a building. Worship is about the state of our heart. And when we come together to, to, to exalt him and do it in a way that's empowered by him, then people recognize God is there. And to me, that is what changes people's lives, the presence of God. So we want people first to encounter God and his people. In doing so, on Sunday morning, and I'm talking about the corporate gathering right now, corporate worship, we endeavor to do these three things. We want to have a time where we celebrate. We want to sing. We want to exalt. We want to lift up our hands. Um, we want to magnify the Lord. It says in the Psalms, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. There's a lot about, I, I could say about, the style of music and the ascribing to the Lord, the, the glory due his name. But let me just say this about worship without going too far down this road. Worship, worship is a lifestyle. Worship is not simply what we do here on Sunday morning. Worship is something we do 24 hours a day, seven days a week in every part of our lives. I will bless the Lord when? All times. His praise will forever, always be on my lips. Worship is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week activity. Everything you do as a follower of Jesus Christ should be done as an act of worship before him. Oh, by the way, I, I believe if it can't be done as an act of worship for, before him, it shouldn't be done. If you can't offer it as an act of worship to him, you shouldn't be doing it. Everything we do should be done as an act of worship before the Lord. Uh, we worship him in spirit and truth. You should be worshiping him in all the time. We worship him in private times. We worship him in the privacy of our own homes. We worship him all the time. But when we gather together, a whole different dynamic takes place. And we want to celebrate as the people of God together. And so we do that. We celebrate. You know, worship should be a thing. I, I love it in the psalm when it says, I was glad when they said unto me, what? Let's go to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they, you should look forward to coming together as the body of Christ to worship. Instead, it's, I've always felt in some corners, it's like, oh no, it's Sunday morning again. I have to go to church today. Listen, I think when we ha are all worshiping 24-7 privately, we're really pursuing God, 
that when we gather together, an explosion of celebration and worship should occur. It's, it, 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 it's just like as dynamic to the point where people say, man, I was glad. I get to go to church again this Sunday. I am looking forward to being together in the body of Christ. Then also, we, we here endeavor to minister to one another, to pray for one another. We recognize that every week people come with, with, with burdens, with, with sickness, with illness, with, with decisions that need to be made. And so we want each and every week to offer a time where people can receive prayer. Uh, it may be, you may be new to fullness and think it's unique that almost every week we have a time of ministry. I say that almost every week because today, like Mother's Day, I recognize we have things, lunches, places to go, people to see, things to happen. We're, we'll, you'll still get that at the end of the service afterwards, but most of the time it takes place during the, either as a part of communion or the music part or response to the sermon where you can receive prayer. We, we endeavor to train people to pray for other people. In the book of James, it says, is any among you sick? Let him come to the elders and receive prayer. Now, we have so many people that our elders can't pray for everybody, so we've delegated authority to ministry teams to pray for people. We want to see ministry occur as a part of God and his people coming together on Sunday morning. And we want to provide biblical teaching. We believe that Church should be a place where, where people learn by the power of the Spirit how to apply the truth of God's Word to their daily life. <clears throat> Let me just say this again. How to apply the truth of God to your daily life. Most of you here don't need more Bible knowledge. Your way, as you know, when I was in, when I was in seminary, I was working with my doctor, my dad, who's here with us now. Um, my dad would say that I was educated well beyond my intelligence, and I believe that's true. I had plenty of information. You've got tons of Bible knowledge. Most of you don't need more Bible knowledge. What you and I need is encouragement on how to apply what we know to our daily lives. And so we do provide biblical teaching, but hopefully in a way where you can apply it. What difference does this make to me? How am I going to live my life different when I leave this place and go to school or go to work or do something different? How is that going to happen? We believe that those things hopefully will take place in corporate worship. So let me ask you this. Why did you come here this morning? Why are you here? Some of you are here because somebody drug you here. I mean, let's just be honest. Some of you are here because somebody drug you here. I'll even go further than that. We'll just get gut level honest. I know it's Mother's Day, and some of you are here just to make your mom happy. I mean, I understand. No need to raise hands. Um, some of you are here because you feel like, oh, it's Sunday morning. I've been raised to go to church my whole life. I'm going to go to church on Sunday morning. Some of you are here because you like the people here. You want to be around the folk here. You're friends. You love these people. Some of you are here because you need spiritually refreshing. You would say, you know what, I just, I need, I need, to, I need to get a boost to make it through the week. Some of you are here because you love Jesus and love worshiping with your people, with your family. 
I could go on and on and on about reasons people go to church. Guilt. I really believe that there's got to be something distinctive about this gathering of people that makes it differing, different than every other gathering that's taken place. A sporting event, civic activity. There's something that's got to be different about the people of God gathering together. And so what I want to do is I, I want to look at 1 Corinthians 14 just for a moment to give us some ideas about what does it mean when the corporate body gathers, when the body of Christ gathers together. <clears throat> and I love, love this passage of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. So let me give you the, uh, the, the BART Digest version of 12, 13, and 14, and hopefully I can do it quickly. Because you've got to know the, the, the context to really get it. Um, and it's this. Paul is addressing a church in Corinth that he established, but that is so screwed up. Uh, I know you probably didn't think you'd hear that on Sunday morning, but this is one messed up church. They are, they are out of order in just about anything you can imagine. When they have the Lord's Supper, they're having feasts and parties and people are getting drunk. And I mean, I, I, I've yet to, I, I, I did get a buzz once at the Lord's Supper. But other than that, um, that's because... Uh, that's because uh, Jim Pinto made me drink the whole thing of wine uh, because I didn't know. And so I did get a little lightheaded. But other than that, I've never been drunk at Lord's, at Lord's Supper. It's a long story. I'll tell you later. Anyway, um, they, they were having moral problems. Their worship was out of order. They were just really, really messed up. And so Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, he's trying to get their worship in order. He's already talked to him about the Lord's Supper, communion, but now he's saying, listen, when you gather together I, I, and, you, and, and the body does stuff, I, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Let me talk to you about spiritual gifts because they were saying, hey, there are some gifts that are better than other gifts, like the gift of tongues. They're saying, hey, you know, tongues, it's really the best gift because in their mind, they've gotten tongues equated to the language of the angels, it seems. And so they're saying, you know, tongues is really it. And Paul is saying, hey, let me compare my favorite gift, prophecy, with your favorite gift, tongues. And so he's teaching them that spiritual gifts, there's not a better or worse. There's, it all goes together into building up the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12. Then he says in 13, he says, listen, everything's got to be done in love. And that's where he comes into this. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, yet have not love, what am I? He's saying, even if I am speaking the language of angels, but, and he's giving them, I think they're due on tongues a little bit without saying you're right. He's just saying, even if that were true, if you don't have love, what do you got? And so he inserts that great passage on love right into this discussion. And then in 14, he comes back and he says, now I want to compare your gift, favorite tongues, with what I think is a better gift, prophecy. And he says, basically, in the first 20-something verses of 1 Corinthians 14, he says, look, tongues are spoken to God. They, are, um, they declare the mysteries of God, but they build up only the person who's speaking in the tongue. 
uninterpreted tongues, he says. He says, on the other hand, prophecy is spoken to people, to men and women, and it contains the will of God, and it edifies, it encourages, it comforts those. So he's basically saying, when you come together in corporate worship, tongues, which has its place, and he, goes, he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. I wish you all spoke in tongues. But when you come together in public worship, which do you think is better? Uninterpreted tongues, which just builds up the individual, or prophecy, which builds up everyone? He's not downplaying tongues. He's just saying corporate worship has a different purpose. There's a different plan. And here's what he says in verses 22 and following. Verse in 14.1, he's coming out of that passage of love. He says, follow the way of love. In everything that you do in corporate worship, follow the way of love. Then verses 22 and following, he says, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? That's what we love. We love for have a church where unbelievers come in. These people, they're crazy. You know, that's not what we're looking for, right? That's not the intent of church. He goes on and says, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Here's what I want to do. I want to look at this passage for some principles. I'm not going to get into the whole tongues versus prophecy, but I think Paul is giving us some principles for corporate worship that are really key here, that are very important. And by the way, if you're wondering what does Pastor Bart believe about spiritual gifts, we believe that all spiritual gifts are still available for today. So let me just put that one to rest. If you're, This is not a sermon against certain spiritual gifts. We believe all spiritual gifts are still available today. God is the giver of gifts. We don't see a, a, um, an expiration date on gifts until the return of Christ. Let me say that. But let me talk about what is corporate worship and why, what principles is Paul giving us here that, is, that are important? Because we want, when the body of Christ comes together, for everybody to encounter God and his people. Unbelievers, believers, everyone to encounter God and the people of God. So here are three points from this passage. First is this, corporate worship is intentional, is intentional. In other words, what is the purpose of worship? What is the intent? Why are we here? Just a couple of different definitions real quick. Harold Best, who is an author, says that worship is acknowledging that someone or something else is greater worth more, worth-ship, worship, worth more, and by consequence to be obeyed, feared, and adored. Worship is the sign that in giving myself completely to someone or something, I want to be mastered by it. Worship is an acknowledgement that there is someone greater than me, him, God, and I want to be mastered by him. <clears throat> There's a truth that circles around this, which is this, that Whatever you worship, you become like. 
Whatever you worship, if you worship money, find faith and trust in money, you're going to become greedy. You're going to have the love of money. And, and that's why the psalmist, and all throughout the Old Testament, they talk about idols and they say those who make them or worship them become like them. So do all who trust in them. So worship, one of the purposes of worship is to acknowledge God as God so that we will in turn be mastered by him. You with me? We want to be mastered by God. Um, another definition by Warren Wiersbe is this. Worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, body, to what God is and says and does. It, it is a response. The purpose is to respond to what God has done. An acknowledgement so that we'll be mastered by him, a response to what he's done in our life. And then my professor at seminary, Dr. Bruce Leafblad, he, his definition is this. Worship is communion with God in which believers by grace center their minds' attention and hearts' affection on the Lord, humbly glorifying him in response, again, response, to his greatness and his word. Ultimately, Dr. Leafblad's definition has to do with communion. So there's acknowledgement, there's response, there's communion. You get the point? There's a lot of parts to worship. But the purpose of worship has to do with me and God. In 1 Corinthians 14, though, it says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies whom? Himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Here, is edifying yourself a bad thing? No, shake your head like this. No, edifying yourself is not a bad thing. It's not. But it's not the purpose of corporate worship. Let me, let me, come to, let me see if I can give you this diagram. There's me and God. And when I worship between... God in me, I, God reveals himself to me, and then I respond to God's revelation of himself. How, how do I love? I love because God did what? He first loved me. My, my love in and of itself is a response to the love of God. Everything we do in worship is actually a response to the revelation of God. I, I think this is why Jesus says to Peter, hey, you're Peter on this revelation of truth about who I am, I will build my church. In other words, church is uh, truth, spiritual truth is based on a revelation of God that we then respond to. So you and I, we're all, God has revealed himself to us. By the spirit of God, we're responding to him, right? This is kind of what tongues is doing. It's edifying me, it's revealing the mystery of God, and I'm responding to it by, in whatever way that may be. So when it's just you and you're at your house and God is revealing and I'm responding, I can do whatever I want. I can, I, can, I can scream, I can yell, I can play a trumpet, I can play the trumpet, I, 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 the tambourine, I can dance, I can, I can do anything I want in the privacy of my own home because it's me and God and I'm revealing. Then you come into the picture and God is both Revealing himself to you and you're responding to him. I'm over here. You're over there. We're doing our private worship. But then we come together. All of us, a couple of hundred of us come together. And now there's this horizontal dynamic that Paul is trying to address here in 1 Corinthians 14 that changes everything. So that um, when we come together, I, I want to I be reminded of who God is and what he's done. 
his purpose and his plans in my life. I, I want, we want to edify, build one another up. So far, this is a believer thing, right? I'm reminding, you already, you're already convinced, you already know Jesus. And so I'm reminding you of who God is and what he's done in your life. I'm edifying the body, but at the same time, we want to represent him. We are Christ's ambassadors. We want to represent him. This idea is for unbelievers, people who don't know him yet. We want to represent God in worship in a way that people can look at God and say, surely God is in your midst. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, so it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. That's edification. Verse 3, he says, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Again, edification, reminding, building up. And the passage we're looking at in uh, verses 23 through 25. So the unbeliever will also fall down and worship and declare, surely God is among you. Our worship corporately has the intent of displaying the goodness of God. We do it in so many different ways. When I was in middle school, there was a man in our church. My dad was a pastor of a church in Maryland. There was a man um, named Ralph Bork. Mr. Bork uh, was a meat cutter at A&P, right, Dad? And, but he was also the church janitor. So he worked full-time, cutting meat, but at the same time, he cleaned the church. When we were living in this church, our parsonage was like right next to the church. You know, like that house that is our office used to be a parsonage. That's the way they used to do things back when. They kept the preacher close in case they needed him. And so the, our family was there, and, and you know, there are three, my, my parents had three kids, and two of them were a little wild, I won't tell which ones, uh, but we were, we were always in the church building. Like, we knew how to get in. The church had a ping pong table. Uh, we didn't, so we played ping pong. We'd be running around the church. We, you know, we always got in trouble for moving the graves markers because there's a cemetery on the other side. So we'd move them to make uh, soccer goals or bases. Uh, <laughs> the guy was always the guy who was taking care of the thing was always going to my dad. Those kids are yours. They moved the grave markers again. <laughs> they weren't really dead people yet. They were just where people had bought plots, you know. And so that, to us, it wasn't sacrilegious. Anyway, Mr. Bork, um, Mr. Bork loved us. He loved me. And he was an older man, and he walked with a limp, and he had a degenerative hip problem. Anyway, Mr. Bork... Um, he loved uh, his coffee, too, making coffee. And he would make coffee for the church. And I'm in, like, seventh grade now, get you? Seventh, eighth grade? And Mr. Bork would be like, hey, Bork, come taste my coffee. It is really good. I got, I got hooked on coffee in seventh grade <laughs> as a result of Mr. Bork giving me coffee several times a week. Now, here's the reason I'm telling you this, this, this point. Mr. Bork, he saw the church as family. 
He saw me as family. Mr. Bork had three daughters, had no sons, and so he kind of adopted me and my, my brother. He's a hellion. And they, they, had, they adopted, I was the good one, and he adopted us as sons, really. You know, to me, this is the, and by doing so, he displayed to me the goodness of God. You know, we sang about, I, I'm blessed, I have a great father. And so when you, I, we sing Good, Good Father, I have no trouble with that song because I can relate to a father who is good. But I've had other fathers in my life who were just awesome, who displayed to me the goodness of God. When, see, to me, when the body of Christ comes together, we should say God is good and he is really among us. And the intent is to build one another up and to edify one another and to point unbelievers, people who don't yet know him, to Jesus. How, how is this going to be done? This is important, people, for I believe. For it to be done, it has to be understood. Corporate worship is intelligible. There has to be an understanding about what's taking place. 1 Corinthians 14, 9, there are two passages in this. So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. For communication to occur, it has to be received. He, he talks about in this passage, hey, suppose someone blows a trumpet for a battle, but no one understands what that call is. Is everybody going to rally to it? No, because they don't understand it. What if a flute plays and no one, it's just garbled noise. He goes on and says, in verse 18 and 19, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. There's a big difference. Five versus 10,000? He's talking about the power of it, of, of it being intelligible, understood. You know, the intent, again, the intent is what? God, to be revealed, for us to respond, to edify, to remind one another, to, to glorify him. And for that to occur, we all have to kind of understand what's going on. I was speaking with my brother just this past week. My brother had gone out to College Station. Sorry. I was trying to go through my Rolodex. You know, some of you don't even know what that is. Uh, I was going through the files in my head trying to call out that name. Um, Anyway, he was in College Station for one of his son's graduation. By the way, it is an awesome story. I don't have time because it's Mother's Day, but remember the, the, one of the boys he ad adopted from Ghana, West Africa? He just graduated from college this week at Texas A&M with an accounting degree. It's just I cry every time I, I just read the story. It's just incredible of the grace and to me of adoption. God taking us into his family and the lives that can be changed. Anyway, I was talking to him on the phone. I'm talking on the phone, and it was all garbled. And I'm saying, hey, I can't understand you. I can't, I can't, I, what? hang up. You know, why keep talking? If you can't understand the person, and it's just garbled noise, why keep, is it just me? You don't hang up on people when it goes like that? <laughs> I wouldn't be rude or hateful. It was just like, there's no, why waste my time here? 
Look, I think unbelievers, when they go to church and they can't understand a stinking thing going on, they're like, why bother? Hello? We need, work, we need it to be understood, intelligible at some level. And it should be inspirational. Inspirational. Paul says, but if an unbeliever or someone, he says, God is where? Among you. Now, it, I don't mean inspirational like um, I'm going to rah-rah, go to the football game, you know, roll tide, war eagle, that kind of inspiring kind of thing. I, you hear that, it, getting everybody worked up. You, the Latin for inspirational comes from the within, to breathe within. Inspiration, respiration, breath within. And the word for spirit is the same as breath, ruach. Uh, in the Hebrew, it, it's the breath of God breathed into it. In other words, worship has to be inhabited by the breath of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, the operation of spiritual gifts. When we sing songs, lift our hands, declare his goodness, pray for one another, prophesy, hear the word of God taught, all of it has to do, I think, has to be with the Spirit of God, the breath of God breathed into it. Worship has to be in spirit, breath, and in truth. Truth has to be understood. They go together. The true worshiper will worship God. The intent is in spirit and in truth. In our church's history, we have succeeded and failed at all three of these things. Just to be honest, in 25 years, I think there have been times we've tried to always keep the intent right, but, you know, we've stumbled and fallen at times. What is the intent of worship? Is it to get people in a room? No. That's not the intent of worship. The intent of worship is to hear from God and respond to Him. Has worship always been intelligible at fullness? To be honest, there have been a couple of times things have taken place even I didn't understand what was going on. Hello? I mean, things got so where it was so personal with the person who was worshiping and it was just them and God that it was unexplainable. I don't mean to be offending anyone. It got really quiet in here. We felt like we had made the bridge too far. We had built a place where only believers could actually understand what was taking place, and even believers were having trouble figuring out what was going on. At the same time, in a response to trying things, make things more intelligible, we may have an epic at times, possibly lost the person and work of the Holy Spirit moving in a way where gifts could operate as well. We want to be a place. This is our vision. This is our vision. And we're going to keep struggling forward. Because believe me, this balance is really hard. Trying to maintain this is not easy. I, I can tell you as one who's been doing it for 25 years, it's really hard. I mean, I understand why there are places they hey, forget the gifts of the Spirit. You know, because when we do, we always get some weirdy in there. 
who just, I mean always, who just believes it's just them and God and not 200 other people in a room. And so there, it's just going to be them going crazy with God. I don't mean to be sarcastic or ugly. I, I'm just trying to give you the reality of the situation. And at the same time, we don't want to be that, where we say we're just going to choke the life out of the thing in order to control it. You know, a dead thing is really easy to control. You just pick up your dead cat and you carry it over there. I mean, it, you think I'm being ugly, but what easier to control than a dead thing? Who wants that? Who wants to be a part of that? We want the life and breath of God to be breathed into this. We're trying. We're trying. Be patient with us as we try to keep things moving forward. And I believe God has us right where he wants us. After 25 years of stumbling around and trying the best we can, I do think, we know the intent. We want to be a place where God, we worship in spirit and in truth. We want it to be intelligible so that the truth of God is fully proclaimed. And we want 100% of the spirit of God where gifts are manifest, prophecy occurs, edification, unbelievers fall down. Don't you want to be a part where some, you get to bring a friend to church who doesn't know Jesus? They walk in, worship, the music starts, a prayer happens, the body of worshipers who have been doing this for 24 hours a day, seven days a week in their life, they come together and the unbeliever, the friend you brought to church says, wow, God is here. Saves a lot of time, doesn't it? I mean, as far as you trying to have to figure out how to explain to them who God is and whether he exists or not, don't you want to be a part of that kind of place? How does that occur? Well, individually, we go hard after God. When you leave this place, please, 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 please do not say, I'll go again to worship seven days from now. When you go to lunch, go to worship. When you take a nap this afternoon, which I will do, go to worship. I'm going to sleep in the name of Jesus here this afternoon. Yeah, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. Worship him. Set aside some time for him. So that next week when we come together and everybody's done their part, a dynamic of worship is unleashed in this place. We don't have to get things cranking again. You'll be ready to roll. And understand, as you do, when you come into this place and you say, God, how do you want to be worshipped today? Ask God, how do you want to be worshipped today in a way that will edify the people around me, will represent unbelievers who you are, and will remind people of your grace and your goodness? God, do you want to work through me today for that to occur? And when that ha that's who we want to be. That is the vision of this place, so that... Everybody who walks in encounters God and his people. Stand up with me, if you will. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you. And I pray that <clears throat> fullness will be, these three things, like three legs on a stool, will be all in place and firmly established. We will know who we are in you, that the intent of worshiping in spirit and truth will be 
in us. We'll be a worshiping people. At the same time that our worship will be in truth, it'll be intelligible. People will understand the truth that's proclaimed and demonstrated. And it's inspired, it's breathed. The breath of God flows into us. God, we thank you. I thank you for fullness. I thank you for this people in this place. I thank you for the plan of God, your plan, that's being demonstrated here. I thank you that you brought this people together. Lord, today we declare, I declare, this prayer of blessing over this people. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord.